Welcome back to the Cock and Ball pod, a weekly look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, just a reminder, you can follow us uh, on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Cock and Ball underscore pod. Uh, I'm Tom, a.k.a. Fenn. I'm your first contestant for tonight. Our second contestant, who is from Hertfordshire via Italy, uh, whose hobbies include perpetually planning his wedding and supporting Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, is Ashley. Yeah, that's not much more to it, I'm afraid. <laughs> Good evening, then. <laughs> And in charge of the numbers whilst looking fantastic in a pencil skirt tonight, it's Jules. Good evening, mate. And over in Dictionary Corner, it's Stockport's answer to actually listening in GCSE English. It's Jim. <laughs> Hello, gents. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lads, we, we, we've had a week of wins. Hey. <laughs> Uh, we have to go back to last Thursday first uh, for our week of wins. A fairly routine 3-1 win against uh, Bulgaria's answer to Bayer Leverkusen uh, in Ludogorets. Uh, Jose was clearly keen to rectify the wrongs uh, of Antwerp. He fielded quite a strong side. Uh, we dominated it, quite frankly. Uh, Ash, were there any standout performances that you picked out? Uh, not in terms of being absolutely dominant, but we did see the Chelsea and Bell look a lot sharper than in recent games, which was good to see. Um, I think in terms of standout, unfortunately, it was the uh, the ones that didn't perform that stood out in a game like that, rather than the ones that did. Well, it was nice to see Kane get his 200. Um, no, it wasn't his. Yeah, 200th in all yeah. competitions, wasn't it? Um, which, in the amount of games he's had, is frankly ridiculous. But as quite as quite with quite a lot of his goals, rather, they're quite simple. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most dramatic thing. Just another header from a corner. I feel like his highlight reel might not be the most glamorous 10 minutes that you'd watch for some of them. But he just does the simple things so well. Um, and just what we needed, a striker to pop up with a with a goal from a corner. I was going to say, I don't necessarily agree that nobody stood out because I thought um, Doherty and Lacelso for me both had a really good game. And uh, I think that feeds into what you were saying, Jules, about Kane scoring simple goals, which I think we'll probably come on to later on, but it's only because of players like that that allow him to do it. And uh, certainly in the in the attacking half of the pitch, I thought it was a really strong performance, I suppose, even from a, a perspective of a game where the opponents weren't really up to much. You've still got to turn up and win, haven't you? So I always think whenever I watch the Celso play, um, he looks like sort of the perfect seven-a-side player. He's just he, he carries the ball nicely. He's got a good range of passing, can weight the ball. But he's also scrappy. He covers ground well. He's always offering. Like I've, every time I watch him play, I think I'd love, I'd love to play with someone like that who's, you know, in, who brings those kind of attributes. You know, there's that thing as well, wasn't there? In, in summer, from what I can remember, he had a really good finish to last season. But then his summer was a bit kind of bitty and broken up, and it wasn't maybe the most impressive. But it feels a little bit to me like the more the season goes on, he seems to be getting better and better, which is uh, is only a good thing, I suppose. Well, Mourinho said about him that he needs to see more uh, off the ball work. Um, like his work with the ball is great. It's more about the work without the ball, which is another way for a manager to say, don't be lazy when you don't have it. <laughs> um, Get stuck in, Gio. I don't, I don't even know if it's Get Stuck In. I can't remember one of the great... Um, Dutch coaches always used to say, even in a team, uh, even if you're playing, you know, name, no, not not exactly his name. Um, even in a team, <laughs> even if you are a central player in a team that dominates the ball, you're probably only going to touch the ball for 
maybe four or five minutes of a match, like at the absolute max. So what you're doing for the other 85 odd is more important. And I think Gio's uh, taken that on board. He definitely seems to be offering more now, which is great, but bodes well. Fortunately, we've got Hoiberg that can play next to him, who's just the numbers he's putting in. I saw it Mm. earlier today. He's making like double the amount of tackles and interceptions and ball recoveries than Winks and Sissoko were last season. So when you've got somebody like that, you can... Lachelso is not exactly a luxury player, but he doesn't have to put in the same level of graft that he would need to do uh, when he's playing next to Winks like he was in the week before. So it, ma- it makes such a difference having a player in midfield playing as well as Hoiberg. That just lets everybody else, give somebody else all the freedom. Am I the only person who's a little worried that we're already quite reliant on our one really good holding midfielder mm. <laughs> and, it, and it's November? <laughs> Well, that's it. I mentioned last week that I think we're four players away, four signings away from having a squad good enough to genuinely mount the challenge. And I think one of those is a backup holding midfielder. I was always a big fan of um, Decore. And Fenn knows I was pretty pissed when he went to uh, to Everton this summer. I just feel like another holding midfielder who can impose on the game in that way is is very much in order. Yeah, couldn't agree to more. To be fair, he's just a psycho of A-levels though, isn't he? poor man Stan Beauty (laughs) can I just point out as well I've actually got there's a couple of things um, here that I wrote down when I was uh, re-watching the highlights and one of the things I've written down is Harry Winks did something right I just, I just wanted to see what Jules's face looked like, really, when I said no, that. I think Jules is glitching as we say this. Hang, hang on, he, 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 he possibly, he can't possibly be able to pass forward in a penetrative way. I was actually quite impressed with him. He was looking far more like his normal self, not quite when he was doing bits against Real Madrid, but getting there. Speaking of penetration, um, <laughs> notice for the Ludogorets goal, uh, it all came about because uh, Yankov pulled it back. To his colleague uh, <laughs> to drop it into the box. <laughs> Do you know where he's born, uh, by the way? This is interesting. Not. Um, he's Bulgarian international. Where's he born? Bulgaria, I imagine. No, Toronto. Great <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. And he was at the Sunderland Academy. So I'd like uh, to think he's picked up oh, some yeah. like, Mac and Phrases to just <laughs> throw in when he, he's been mischievous around the box. Um, also, I don't know if it, whether this is just me having a really simple uh, reading of the game, but I thought that Joe Hart's pos- yeah, it's very likely Joe Hart's positional awareness is shite. Like, how has he ever been considered a good keeper? He can't see past his own Adam's apple. I think is the largest issue. Um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. He's. I don't think anyone's at fault for the goal. Uh, that said, it was completely fortunate that the ball flicked up in the box and landed in the right place at the right time for whoever scored it. <laughs> um, the well-known Romanian international, Karasu. Wasn't go. he like 35 as well? <laughs> Probably. I don't know anything about him, to be honest. I mean, after Denver Bar at 35 got to walk 60 feet in the Man United half, which was oh, beautiful to watch. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we can feel too too bad about letting him have a, a yard or two in our box. I mean, if you saw your defence do that in your Sunday league team, you'd be livid, wouldn't you? Let alone <laughs> in the Champions League. And ankle breaking in, in the dressing room at half-time. <laughs> you are not <laughs> coming back out. 
<laughs> I'm not sure what you guys thought of um, Vinicius and and Bergvine. Bergvine got a lot of positive reactions when he came on, but to be honest, I don't. I wasn't that impressed by him. Um, and Vin- Vinicius just didn't look up to the pace in that game. I was wondering, what did you guys think? I think I agree. Vinicius doesn't seem quite up to speed yet, but I'm I'm a big fan of his already, just in terms of the style of player he is and the way that he seems to naturally be a a, a carbon copy replacement for Kane, which is very hard to come by. Like having a good backup striker is a a real tricky thing to find. Um, Bergvine, I think he does bright things, but I'm I I worry if he's maybe one of those players who hasn't has been allowed to play in a league where getting end product is a little bit easier than maybe he's going to find it at Tottenham. You know, his numbers were never remarkable um, with PSV. They were they were good numbers, but not ridiculous. But he's not going to have 33 starts playing 90 minutes every week to get those numbers. Like If you're not performing well and doing exceptional things in, you know, constantly, then the competition for places is going to prove difficult for him. So was he good? Yes. Does he? Do I still need to see more from him if he's going to be a big success at Tottenham? Absolutely, because he's competing with Son, isn't he? Ultimately, absolutely. I, he struck me as a as a player who was devoid of confidence in that game. He did some great work on the ball, keeping it and taking the odd man on, but he just kept cutting in and shooting tame efforts straight at the keeper. I mean, lack of confidence, absolutely, from not playing that much. But even if he he was playing a little bit more, um. Let's be honest, Son is going to start every game from now until the end of the year when he's basically reasonably fit because Mourinho yeah, adores yeah. him. Like, Sign the ting, Son. Sign the ting. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, Mourinho adores him. He's, he's always going to play and he's always going to have that spot on the left or sort of, you know, running off Kane because it's so effective. And that's, if you're Bergwijn, like Bergwijn could score a hat-trick on a Thursday night and maybe get a start on the wrong wing, which he's not comfortable playing, you know, as, as a reward. I think it's I think it's quite hard. We're going to have to find a way to give him, to integrate him in sometime. I can't see a way in. I'm going to call it now. I, I just don't. I think his debut goal against City probably got people's hopes up um, more, more than they, they should have done. And I talked about it a few weeks ago that, yeah, he's the sort of winger that I like who can run into space. But... You're not really going to see those games where there's lots of space to run into unless you're playing actually one of the best teams like your cities, your Liverpools, when they're actually going to have a lot more of the ball. So I, I don't really see where his way in is. And at which point, do I, can I see him forging a career at Spurs? Definitely not. Wow. I found no Jose's response to you, your question, your response would be, why don't you ask City why Mares doesn't play all the time? <laughs> why, why don't you go to Chelsea and ask them about Pulisic? So I think but, yeah, you, you need a squad, yeah, don't Mahrez you? I, I can't see him. Yeah, well, I, I what, think... what I mean is that he, you need a squad, don't you? you got, the starting lineup isn't enough. So yeah, it's the same reason why Vinicius is there. To be honest, like I, the one thing I did think the other day is he's. Looks bright and sharp, but is the uh, um, um, on quite a simple level. One key difference between him and Kane is that Kane takes his chances when he gets them, whereas Vinicius is quite wasteful on occasion. And the same can be said for um, for a few others that tend to be why they're sort of on the fringes of the squad. But ultimately, when you get an injury or a suspension, you know we, we all know that the best will in the world, um, Son is prone to the occasional red card. Um, 
you need somebody that's going to step in and do a job. It's kind of the beauty of the Europa League, weirdly, isn't it? Because basically the group stages aren't competitive. So you have these matches, but you basically just play your backup players to get them some confidence and some minutes under their belt. And then you actually start having to think about playing your first choice team in March, at which point you might have a read on whether or not you're going to get Premier League top four and get Champions League that way or not anyway. So it kind of works, whereas Liverpool and City and the teams in the Champions League, they play, you know, very hard game on a Wednesday and then they've got a match on a Sunday, which they don't, they want to have their strongest team out twice in a row. And that's how they get the injuries, which they've now got. I don't know if you saw, I thought, um, Jonathan Liu's article in The Guardian about Mourinho and how Tottenham could weirdly be dark horses for the title this year. I thought it was spot on and very enjoyable because there's there's a truth to the fact that if this is going to be a shithouse season when no one plays that well and there's a lot of injuries, what you'd want is to be in the Europa League so you have an easier run of it and you'd want to have quite a deep squad where you can rotate lots of players around. And we do seem to have bloody good strike strike partners who play well on the counter. And I think we're starting to have a defence which I've got a little bit more faith in for the first time in about three years. So, you know, yeah. positivity. We saw the fruits of that defence finally with two back-to-back away clean sheets for the first time. Was it since October 2018 after oh, the West Brom game? It's awful. <laughs> None of which included uh, Sanchez doing a great deal either. <laughs> and that's, you know, I I think that's the key thing, isn't it? I think that's three games in a row. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sanchez didn't start against Ludogorets. No, no, it was, again, it was Toby and uh, Dyer. So three um, games in a row that he's had the same centre-half partnership. Yeah, I think he's finally worked out what works. It kind of looks that way anyway, which pleases me. I don't really care if they don't have pace. They read the game well. So I'd rather have that than, you know, driving someone down, Pickford-esque. They do, the, they do the simple parts of being a centre-back very well. Like they, you know, they clear the ball well in the air. They hold their line. They're positionally smart. They, they read the ball into the channel. Um, would they get exposed playing against elite rapid forwards? Probably, yes. But for 90% of our matches this year... I think they will actually do a better job than having someone who's got more pace but is a bit erratic in how he how he is positionally and, and how he tries to sort of read the game. Yeah, I think Dyer showed his value to our defence, um, particularly against West Brom, which is neither Toby Alderweireld or Sanchez seem to be that proficient in the air, whereas Dyer tends to win more headers than, than he loses, which is such a big big thing in, in the modern age you need at least one and a half to be somewhat dominant um i mean we how many times have we seen us come a cropper at set pieces it's so frustrating hopefully with dyer in there we, we'll see a bit more solidity both from open play and set pieces provided we cut off his arms <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a beautiful symmetry in um kane's goal against ludogorets as well in terms of the stats sponge everyone picks up on his tools that was his 200th goal in his 300th appearance. Mm. He'd scored 100 goals at home and 100 goals away, which, you know, for anyone with a mild OCD, that is an absolute wet dream. Um, <laughs> he's topped that off with the winning goal uh, against West Brom. Are we watching a living legend? Yes or no? Yes. Brilliant. We've never had a player 
that I remember watching be this good for such con- for such a significant length of time. Like, I feel like for, for a season I've seen Tottenham players be incredible. Berbatov at points, Modric, Bale, but he, I mean, to reach the to have scored the goals he scored in this time frame, but also to have done it so con- so consistently in big matches in the Champions League and cup finals and semi-finals, like he he has just become the total all-round striker. And if not for a certain Robert Lewandowski, I think he'd be the best nine in the world. I think he still is. I think the most telling thing about um, the way Tottenham fans view him is. Our generations speak about Kane the same way generations before us speak about Greaves. Um, mm. And I, I don't have the luxury of having, you know, older parents or uncles or whatever to, who were around to see Greaves because they were in Italy farming stuff and trying to get away from the war. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but all the stories are free. He, he has, Kane has that aura of something special. I love as well. He's he's such a complete forward. Whenever you watch his his goals, like his, he can strike from distance, but he's also got that kind of ability to do the simple finishes well. He's adding in this passing range, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and I don't know if you saw all the stats, but he's the amount of clearances and and sort of defensive contributions he gets through for us. He's just he's a great leader. I think yeah, Mourinho often spoke about actually. At Chelsea, they quite often bring Drogba back at corners and stuff, and having a guy that dominant in the air back there is a big help. Well, Kane is just, he's sort of captain fantastic. He, he really does everything for us, and let's just try and keep him fit. And weirdly, maybe that COVID break and, you know, what, what went on earlier in 2020, getting him fully fit again might might really prolong his career, not, not sort of being rushed back consistently from injuries. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? How... Um, just how versatile he is. You, you mentioned there, Jules. It's not even. I wouldn't say he's the complete player because that's not quite fair. But he, he's the complete striker, and he's a very, very good uh, player. Being able to step in, so he can he can play at six if you need him to. He's increasingly good at ten, I think, and that's probably where his long term future is. Um, and he's just got that that sort of thing where he's not particularly flashy or flamboyant. But if you absolutely nail the simple things and you're as good as um, as he is at being in the right places at the right time, you don't need to be flashy because you can just do the just do the basics and that's enough. Um, and I think sometimes it feels a little bit like the comparisons with Alan Shearer are a bit lazy just because he's English. But he is the only player that reminds me of Shearer in that sense of just be, knowing where to be and sticking his head on it or sticking his foot through it and not particularly being showy about it the only thing i find funny with the shearer comparison is everyone talks about shearer the shearer i remember is baldy aggressive target man shearer in his latter years at newcastle where he looks like he could headbutt his way through a brick wall and (laughs) that's a bit of a different like turns out actually in his first half of his career when he scored the majority of his goals and he was the, the the kind of the best nine definitely in england at least um, he had pace, didn't he? Wasn't that one of his surprising, like, sort of yeah, characteristics? Kane yeah. has, I don't think Kane has done anything fast in his life. I think the uh, compa- I might be wrong. But <laughs> that could be that's that could be quite harsh, really. Um, <laughs> I think the comparison 
to Shearer is probably more based on that kind of poacher's instinct, just knowing where to be. Mm. Um, Jim, but working in the media and not being a Tottenham fan, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned that he has to leave Tottenham to achieve greatness. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I get the sense that if he went somewhere else, it it might it just might not work. Like some players are destined to stay at certain clubs or do well at certain clubs, and you only have to look at uh, particular transfers that don't work out to see that great players can sometimes be an absolute flop. Fernando Torres at Chelsea. Um, I but, think his England record speaks for itself, though. I think yes, yeah. he is good enough. The way the way he plays, his range of passing, the the way he drops into all sorts of positions. You'll see him on the left or in the number ten, and the sheer range of of shots he's got. He's he scores every type of goal. Mm. There's always that question, isn't there, about what you want footballers to be and like whether they should be role models and whether they should act in a certain way. And there's always that comparison between footballers in England and footballers elsewhere. And Harry Kane's a good example of that. Cause you probably remember in Euro 2016, the day after the uh, Brexit vote, and it was England-Italy, and they asked Harry Kane, and he just sort of said, oh, yeah, we're not really thinking about it. The boys don't know much about it. We're just focused on the game. And he, he kind of brushed it off, and it was obviously not of interest to him. And then they asked Giorgio Chiellini, and he started talking about the European Union's project and the, <laughs> making sure that the um, fiscal responsibility and structure of the European project stays the same. And <laughs> and they were just they were like just talking on completely different levels. But it sort of played into this narrative that footballers are stupid or they don't know how to do anything beyond the scope of football. And I I think it's just an interesting question because to me, Harry Kane isn't controversial. He doesn't like, you don't see headlines about him sleeping with hookers or taking substances in clubs or getting driving (laughs) bans. Yeah. He's a little bit boring to James Milner, but isn't that what you want? I, He's, he's boring. He's fine, isn't it? He's the media don't want it. That, that's why I don't like. They're always looking for something on him, and I think it's quite sad that the, the rest of England doesn't seem to want to celebrate him as much. And I don't know whether that's because he's boring or whether there is an element of because he plays for Spurs, and for whatever reason, Spurs are that sort of slightly jilted club in the, eye, the eyes of everyone else, which I I don't think is. Is I that fair? You, but you got to remember, he's got a, he's got a World Cup uh, golden boot. All right, one of them come off his ass. He didn't even know about it. <laughs> right place, right time. Striker's mentality. You can't teach that. You've hit on a bit of a nail on the head there for me, which is that some some players seem to talk as if what they'll look back on and what they care most about is you know like whenever they introduce a introduce a pundit on Sky Sports and underneath it's like won X trophies on X years. They seem to care more about what the line underneath their name is going to be when they're retired than actually what they contributed to that club or to that city or, or to something bigger. In fairness, it is a good idea. It is good that Harry Kane doesn't care about winning trophies, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I'm going to come on to that in one sec. But my... Oh, we're coming I... for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, think, I, I think genuinely, like, you know... Okay, Zinchenko is going to have a fantastic trophy hall and list under his name because he's going to be in the backup left back or in some cases third choice left back at City during peak Guardiola years. Great. But 
he's not going to be remembered as being this incredible footballer the way Harry Kane is. So it's all just what you want to what you want to achieve in the game, and you know what opportunities come for you. The one thing I would say to your point, Jim, I still think personally I've got a horrible nagging suspicion that City are going to come in for a bid for Kane at the end of the year, which we're not going to be able to say no to. Um, so I'm I'm calling it here on the pod. It's the 11th of November, 20, 2020. If that happens, we're dialing back. I don't think he'll go. I think... Uh, I don't. No, he, he, I, I get Jim's point to an extent that, OK, he's not actually he won anything here, but I like his ambition that he wants to win things here. He'd rather do it that way. And yeah. I think he'd actually yeah. just deserve some credit for that. I, I think he'd have more credit for staying. Actually, I was about to say that. I think it's absolutely, it's probably bollocks. But, but I like I like to think that it would mean more to him to win a trophy at Tottenham than just to go and win the Champions League um, at Madrid when they win it. What, was it 13, 14 times they've won it? Oh, no, I just, the, the, the reason I, I sort of have that feeling with City more than anything else is that I don't think, I think he's too old now to go to uh, Real Madrid or Barca. Um, I can't see that happening. And those two clubs are in financial disarray at the moment. So they're not going to have the pure cash that you need. Um, I don't feel like United are a particularly compelling proposition right now. Liverpool don't play that kind of player and don't seem to also have quite that much money. Um, but City, Aguero leaves at the end of the year on a free and he's going back to Argentina. So I just have this horrible idea that if they turn around and just go, well, one undisputedly world-class striker has been with us for eight years if we just want to spend money and just get an instant high quality homegrown replacement harry kane does tick all those boxes and if they fronted up the cash if you're daniel levy and you've got to account for covid impacted finances if city put down 80 million pounds on the table would you not even close no not even close 250 minimum Two fifty plus fat, just just <laughs> two fifty just to enter negotiations. Anything less than that is a slap in the face for the player Harry Kane is. There is no one on the planet like him. Um, and I know you mentioned Lewandowski as another t- number nine, um, but Harry Kane's got the homegrown status, which bumps up his cost, and also he's got three or four years on him as well. Um, I honestly, if we even enter negotiations on anything less than two hundred, it's well, it's just. Ridiculous. He's, think, he's that good. I think the time of those kind of sums has kind of gone though, mate. Um, also- money's, a, money's irrelevant as well, like in that context, whether you get 100, 200 million or 150 million or whatever, because if you lose an asset like that that you can't replace, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you still can't replace it. So it would have to be, I think, for them to entertain that, it would have to be something that really allows them to, you know, unless you've got a ready made replacement lined up. To come in after him, you know. Apparently, he's doing all sorts. <laughs> he's doing fuck all. His ankles are like a glass. But... <laughs> I was going to say he's got a t- typical Tottenham injury. So. <laughs> what is Ash your favourite Kane goal? You've got to pick one. I know he scored them of all different types. You've got to choose one. <laughs> Easy. Uh, the one at the lane against Arsenal, when it looks like there is nowhere for him to go. He's basically in the corner flag. He cuts back inside and manages to curl one from the ridiculous angle into into the far corner. Um, I just remember him running 
going absolutely crazy and whipping off that weird little face mask right and jumping into the corner. <laughs> he was ahead of the trend there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was, in terms of sheer quality, I think that tops them all. And obviously it's, it's Arsenal, so it's always great. What about for you, Fen? Probably would have said potentially that um, because of the technique, there's absolutely no way a player should go from his corner flag to <laughs> curling one in at, at that angle. But he... There was another goal he scored against Arsenal. I think maybe that has an effect on your favourite goal. But he just did a one of those, you know, the ball's crossed in slightly behind him and he's got to cushion it back where it's come from to the other corner, sort of loops sort of outside of the goalkeeper's reach. And I think those goals are a little bit underrated and it, it does require a lot of technique. Obviously, it's against Arsenal, so it's fantastic. He's done it twice against them as well, hasn't he? He did it at the lane with a Bentaleb cross, and he did it again at Wembley with a Davies cross. They're almost identical goals. God, mm. Bentaleb, that takes me back. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, do you have one? Yeah, Chelsea, the 5-3 against Chelsea about five years ago. Um, <laughs> somehow gets past most... Uh, opposition plays on the pitch and buries it in the bottom corner from 20 yards and that was at a time when uh, Jose's Chelsea were actually good uh, <laughs> and um, yeah I, I mean I, I don't know how that like I just don't know how you do that and I, th- I think if I remember that was the equaliser um, and then obviously went on to win 5-3 it's always stood out and I think Jules was going to pick that one as well because he's got his silky face on now <laughs> I was, so if I have to choose another, <laughs> I'll go to my second favourite, you bastard. Uh, I actually loved, I don't know if you remember it, it was uh, maybe three years ago now, um, the header against Man United in the FA Cup semi-final, when he almost flicks the ball directly behind him. Like, he doesn't actually head it like in a noticeable change of direction. He just sort of shifts it on. And I remember just thinking, like, in... That was, for me, the start of his run of, like, scoring in clutch games. Like, when you look back at some of his highlights and it's like, I think he's played Dortmund and he scored, like, in five of six games against Dortmund. And then Barcelona, two, like, two and two. And then it's Real Madrid and it's two and three. Then it's Inter Milan and it's two and two. And then, it, you know, his, his record of goals in big games is, for me, like, I, I always, I, I hate the, the suggestion which my brother baits me with constantly and of course I take take the bait um, but he always baits me with this idea that basically Kane just plumps up his, his goal scoring count against shit teams he's like well you know he's on 21 with like three games to go in the season and then he scored like four against Leicester Hattie against a relegated team two more against someone else and he ends up you know he sort of plumps up his figures they'll oh, count yeah but I, but I also just think I whenever I, I I always think he stood out to be counted in our biggest games. I, I think of him scoring in you know our FA Cup semi-finals in our Champions League runs in those big games at Wembley in that awful god awful stadium. Um, so yeah, no financials, but that's like the most football nerd <laughs> favorite goal to, to have <laughs> <laughs> in comparison to what else has been mentioned. No, it's it's but it's also like. Like, we forget about some of the goals he scored, which he just has no right to. And it's not because of outrageous technique. It's because, like, the one against Leicester, when he's been fouled from behind and he still digs it out from his toes and sort of scoops it over Schmeichel. Mm. Like, 
he scores goals where he's being fouled, but his just desire to still get the ball in the back of the net is amazing. And that, like, it's a different thing to having raw ability and being able to beat a player and score in the way like Neymar does. He's He can do those things, but he's also just so driven in everything he does, and you can see it in the tappings. Yeah. If I may now finally bring it back to um, West Brom, just to touch on a bit more generally, it was a tight game because they were defending very well. But we found a way to win ugly, and we did that against Burnley. We beat Burnley by playing a Burnley way, and then we now beat West Brom by playing a, a West Brom way. There seems to be a bit of a sea change at Spurs, which we haven't seen in a while. It's like in a Captain America or like Wolverine, and they're injecting with that stuff, and then all of a sudden he's got silver in his bones. And I, maybe Jim knows the answer because he does write the news, but is Jose injecting our players with something absolutely ridiculous <laughs> or is there just been a change of mentality uh, I think it is the good side of Jose Mourinho uh, coming to the fore um, obviously it's no secret that Jose's got his detractors about how things go wrong at the clubs he manages but he does manage to instill this sense of uh, first of all, steeliness, and and secondly, a, a bit of a siege mentality in the sense that everybody is against him and against his players. And it just feels like his general conservatism as a coach is bringing benefits because Spurs are adapting to nullify their opponents rather than necessarily trying to impose themselves on games. Um, and sometimes, like the very best teams, top tier teams, can just bring their game, and it doesn't matter who they're playing. Anybody else has to try and kind of adapt to what they're doing to cope. Another way of managing and making things work is, and Leicester were great at this when they won the title, is you contain the team you're playing, and then you hit them with almost like a second wave of your own strengths. And that kind of keeping it tight, like you did against Burnley and patience and not getting frustrated like against West Brom um, indicates to me that the game management's got a lot better over the last 12 months or so. It's an effective strategy as well because it's not just the good teams, Jim, that bring their own distinctive style and they're only going to play their way. Like Southampton come and it's like they Southampton are only going to do it their way. Leeds are going to come and they're going to press you like, you know, mm. no matter what happens. Burnley are always going to come and play, you know, pretty kind of vertical, um, you know, challenging football for your centre-halves. So every team's got really distinctive styles nowadays. So if you can be the team, yeah. that, the, the shithouse that can that can play to their weaknesses, that's actually quite smart. I guess the thing, the difference is that for, like, like you say, Southampton will do that. And half the time, two thirds of the time, that will work for Southampton and the other third of the time. We beat them 5-2. They'll get hammered, yeah. Um, whereas very good teams can do it against anyone. And like you, you're right, It's if, you're, if your style of play is simply that you look for your opponent's weaknesses and build from there, it doesn't always make the most attractive football, but it can be the most well, effective. This is, this is exactly also what you know that Jonathan Lupis talks about, is in a season when teams haven't had a as good a pre-season when maybe those, if, you, if you've got a really finely tuned press or style of play and something's not quite right and you've got players missing because of COVID or injuries and we're going to see a lot of injuries, I reckon, like January through to March, it's going to be absolute carnage. And if in that situation, it's a bit like sort of, 
if a nuclear like bomb hit and like everyone was uh you know the whole world's kind of destroyed and there's kind of scrapping for for, for finding the remaining cans of food and whatever i'd back a jose Mourinho team to 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 get to the local shop <laughs> and find the beans like he's got that kind of <laughs> element to it <laughs> I still think we're going to see more progressive play. It's a bit difficult to do that at the moment when we've got Sissoko midfield. And, I mean, it's great <laughs> the way he's turned his, his his career around. But he plays with about as much grace as Trump has done, shown by losing the election. So we, we still think we've got something more to show um, once once we have our first-choice midfield able to play out there. Um, and there, there were glimpses of of a team trying to build an attack in the second half. Whereas in the first half, we sort of played the way I played FIFA, which was just kick it long and try and run as fast as you can. <laughs> I still feel like there should be a role off the bench or, you know, certainly in the mix in this team for Deli Ali. I just feel like, like, like there are games where I just feel like he would, he would make, he would make a difference. And I'm still a bit surprised that we seem to have cut him out in the cold quite as badly as we have. Uh, no. <laughs> in, a, in, in a word, no. I can't think of a single game where I've looked at it and gone, do you know what this game needs? Deli Ali. I, I, I just can't Can you not remember the, 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 the last season when Jose first joined? We we sort of managed to do all right for about two months. And Deli scored about six and eight or something. He had those amazing goals against like Man United. And like he he plays best when he's running off a 10. And I know he's not, you know, he's not got like say Son's pace, but I just feel like I'm surprised he is someone who can who can get you goals. And if Son and Kane don't, are you really backing Lucas Mora or Bergvine or I don't know Lamella to get those goals for you? Like like Son and Kane can't score forty each, so you've got to Weirdly, get Lamella does pick up goals. Although I'm sick and tired of him. He, he's got a strange <laughs> habit of scoring fairly good goals in big games. He loves a goal against City, weirdly. Um, I get your point about Moira and uh, Bergvine, but at the same time, the squad has developed, the midfield is evolving. The Chelsea and Ndombele are now finding their form, and good old Gary Bale is now finding a bit of fitness, and to the point where this system doesn't suit Ali now because of the squad we've built. And he's now a luxury player. And so unless he changes something about his game, say he becomes a a bit more of a 10 role. So not just playing off the striker, but also perhaps dropping a bit deeper and playing those penetrative balls to the likes of Son of Bale bombing on. And OK, maybe. But until I see that, not interested. It's a shame as well, because he played... I, I always think, weirdly, I was so against when we played... Um, with wing-backs under Poch, we had that sort of spell when like Conte's, Conte's Chelsea made it really popular as well. And at that point, Ali was playing as part of a front three. He was kind of floating in like those kind of areas just off a, a central striker. So theoretically, he can do it, he just, he, but he will tuck in more, more aggressively as part of the front three. But I, I agree, like, I don't think he's, I don't see him being a centre mid who can compete with the likes of Tongi and La Celso and for, for whatever reason, Suzuko. Um So he's going to have to find himself, he's either going to have to become more of an out-and-out forward or he's going to have to find himself a new club. I think he needs to learn to take less risks. The reason he hasn't looked great recently is also 
where he he loses the ball a lot because he tries the risky option, which is what you need to win matches. But when it's not working for you, it just looks awful. So the the little touches and the passes, all of that stuff, which was working for him beforehand, for whatever reason, whether that be a lack of confidence, whether he's not making the same moves, whether it's because the team has changed so much and he hasn't got the Ericsson around him to, to knock it off to. Um, I think he needs to alter his game slightly to, to to be a bit more clinical on the ball and a bit more um, conservative of it. We're recording today on uh, Remembrance Day, which uh, you guessed it, Sherlock, is the 11th of November. Um, it also marks the anniversary of uh, what poignant Spurs game? Is your clue going to be better than last episode's? Uh, no, because it's 1964. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years after our great couple of seasons. I don't know. That, that is a... It's yeah. a loose guess, that, Ash. Uh, no, I'm just... No, I, I, that wasn't my guess. That was me <laughs> showing my working as if it was a maths equation. <laughs> that is quite a poignant link. Um, I didn't realise that the anniversary was today, weirdly, of all days, because it... It was actually a story that, that my parents used to tell me um, about this player, which I never really totally appreciated, obviously, because it was way before my time. But this is the John White uh, Memorial match. Uh, so Spurs lost 6-2 to uh, Scotland 11. The result was actually um, irrelevant. The game was there to mark respect to the late John White. Uh, it was a Spurs player and Scottish uh, international uh he was struck by lightning whilst playing golf at the age of 27. He was a quite a poignant player in, in that double-winning team in, in 61. Uh, and weirdly, Alan Gilzean scored twice in that game for the Scottish eleven. But he wasn't a Spurs player at that point. He signed for them a couple of weeks later. Okay, uh, he sold it to him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, slightly sad story, but also quite a nice mark of respect. Uh, on a day of all days. Um, probably not a good omen for Gareth Bale, though. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if those bloody Arsenal physios have got anything to say about it, I mean, if that's not Tim Pot theory with a sort of foil hat, I don't know what is. <laughs> as long is as lasagna's not on the menu. <laughs> Jose Mourinho, the Trump of football, <laughs> pushing his conspiracy <laughs> theories. That's that's a deep topic for another day, Ash. It is. Yes, it is. I think so. And on that cheery note, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. We've got an international break, which is always good for us. Trying to find some content. We'll see you then.